York, New York, big city of dreams. I'm talking, talking, I'm talking straight out. out New York, New York, big city of dreams. Hey everybody, welcome to the Nick of Time show where we give it that Nick's talk just in the Nick of Time. I'm here, Ryan G's in the building. Jay Ellis is back, but my guy came late. He came like in the middle of the game, so he wasn't able to watch the full game. So the full crew will be back for tomorrow's game against the Nuggets. So the Knicks won tonight. 118 to 111 after Julius Randle called the players only meeting and sat down with the players and talked about everybody needs to hold each other beep, beep, accountable. And that's what the Knicks did tonight. And it came out with a huge win. As you know, Ryan G's in the building and I'm here with Lee Escobedo, posted and toasted ESPN. Oh, he's all over the place right now. Please say hi to the people. Man, I've been busy, bro. Uh, great win tonight. Uh, some of the players I really wanted to to see have a great game, a good bounce back game, had it, and I was happy for that. But at the end of the day, fire Tibbs right now, like five minutes from now, no longer than 10 minutes from now. Like I want a press conference. My man is out. I know it ain't going to happen, but I am team fire Tibbs, and I won't stop being team fire Tibbs till he's at his house in his bum boxer shorts watching it on TV. Yeah, definitely the Knicks win tonight. We'll buy them some more time. The seat got a little bit less hot with the win tonight. So I'm going to go through the Knicks stats right quick. So the Knicks were led tonight by Jalen Brunson, 25 points, eight assists, had some huge buckets in the fourth quarter to help get the Knicks over the hump. Cam Reddish again with a big game, 19 points. Julius Randle, 15 points, five rebounds. R.J. Barrett, 18 points, four assists, three rebounds, despite being under the weather. Jericho Sims, big double-double, 11 points, 13 rebounds. Quickly had some big threes in the fourth quarter as well, 13 rebounds, three assists. And Obi Toppin, he only had nine points, but it seemed like my man scored more than nine points with the way he played tonight. So big up Obi Toppin as well. Got yanked. Got yanked right when he was playing really well. At the highest plus minus on my team, Tibbs were yanked his ass for Randall. Unbelievable. Inexcusable. Yeah, um, as you know, Tibbs beat Thibben, but this is the one game where Thibbs, Thibben did not come to bite the Knicks in the ass. So I think the first thing we should talk about is the defensive effort tonight. As you know, last game against OKC, the defense was basically atrocious. Probably the worst defense the Knicks played all season. Gave up 145 points to the Thunder. But tonight they only gave up 111 to the Jazz. And clearly it was better defensive effort on the court. So what do you think about the Knicks defense tonight, Lee? Yeah, I think most of our they contained Utah's point of attack, which is Laurie Markkinen, who's shooting career-high uh, shooting splits across the board. And I think 21 points per game is their leading score. They did a good job of containing him, which left some opportunities open for Kelly Olenek to nail some threes and kind of have a great overall game with a double-double, 27 and 10. But for the most part, they did a good job containing their very high scoring backcourt and Conley and Carson. Uh, and, and also Colin Sexton wasn't really a factor at all uh, after averaging 14 as a first star off the bench. He was contained at three points. But most of all, it was their defense 
which I'll give some credit uh, to Julius Randle, as well as Obi and Sims and their minutes did a good job containing Markadin, who has been able to score just about everyone that he's played against with his combination of footwork uh, and high IQ around the rim and his rim reads, finding cutters, uh, his ability to, to spray out to, to open shooters. He's been kind of a point forward for them, while also being a really huge offensive threat at seven feet tall with a good handle uh, and good coordination. And we did a good job containing him. So you contain him and you give yourself a chance to win this game. Yes, most definitely. And just to show how well the Knicks played defense tonight, I'm just going to throw out a few statistics on the Jazz side to so just show their effectiveness on defense. So marketing, averaging nearly 22 points a game, eight rebounds a game. Tonight, only 13 points, six rebounds, 5-11 from the field. Basically, Jazz's main, main score was Olenek, 27 points. So the Jazz had to find offense from somewhere else because the guys who usually provide the offense did not provide the offense tonight. Jordan Clarkson, 5 of 16 from the field, 15 points, 5 assists. Mike Conley, 3 of 10 from the field, only 10 points. Malik, Ble- Malik Beasley, who's, had, who's been having a great season so far as well, shooting lights out from three, 5 of 12 from the field. 14 points. So the Knicks, they, they, Knicks showed way more effort on defense today. I was highly impressed with the defense. They definitely got, on, got out on three-point shooters, which has been an Achilles heel for the Knicks yeah. basically all season. And since Mitch has gone down with the injury, Knicks defense has definitely gone down. But tonight they definitely showed the effort, and the effort on defense definitely produced the win. I would be admit, uh, remiss if I didn't mention – Cam Reddish and his effort on defense, who I thought was the standout player of the game, his ability to cover just about every single jazz player on switches because they don't employ a traditional bid. It didn't matter who he was on, whether it was Olenek or Conley or Beasley, he was able to, to keep his man in front of him. There were a few times that he didn't recover on switches and, and Beasley was able to leak out and drain some threes on him. I mean, Beasley has been an unbelievable three-point shooter, shooting well, well above his average metric this year. But besides that, inside of a three-point line, I thought Cam Reddish was really disruptive, playing the passing lanes, playing the defense on a block and, and keeping the penetrators uh, out of a teeth of, the, of, of, of a goal. And he did a really good job, I thought, overall leading the team on defense, being very vocal and really knowing when to double and when not to double. I was very impressed with Cam Reddish's outfit, uh, output on both sides of the ball. Yeah, Cam Reddish is definitely solidifying himself in a starting lineup. The way he's playing right now, if he keeps this up, the Knicks have to try to find a way to keep him because the man is definitely showing his value on both sides of the ball at the moment. And he's definitely living up to um, what the expectations were from him going into the NBA. But like I said, if he, he has to keep this up, though. I want to see, like, if he's going to still be playing this way 40 games into the season, 60 games into the season. So that's what I want to see from Cam Reddish. But so far, he's been playing really well and, He's solidifying himself in the starting lineup. I cannot see anybody replacing him at this moment. So you know, I, I would take it a little bit further, Ryan. Uh, I, I'm not worried about a 40-game sample size. I think that like all of us agreed in preseason when we had our conversation about who should start uh, at the two, all of us were agreeing that Cam Reddish should start because he's the most talented between him, Fournier and Grimes. I think he's absolutely proved that. He's shown a much better increased uh, effort on, on defense increased IQ and awareness offensively getting other guys involved while still looking for a shot and taking advantage of mismatches. I think, I really think the offense 
should become skewed toward him being a top three player on this team. I mean, my mind is already Julius Randle's out the damn door. Evan Fournier's out the damn door. Derrick Rose is out the damn door. I'm thinking about a year from now, we have a clean slate and we're really focused on the youngsters. To me, it should be Obi, Reddish, RJ. And I, might, I think at this point right now, I'm a lot higher on Reddish's ability than I am RJ because I think he has a higher ceiling because of his athleticism, his length, his wingspan, and his, his ability to really on transition be a one-man fast break, which RJ cannot do. When Cam Reddish hits the basket, I don't worry or, or clench my ass because I don't know if he's going to finish around the hoop. Cam Reddish is going to finish around the hoop with either hand. I mean, the dude, he also is a great passer. The man's able to, to, to find open cutters or guys that are into the basket or, you know, feed Obi on, on an, a lob or find a, a shooter on a perimeter. He has an all-around game that I think has the potential to be even better than R.J. Barrett, and we should start building our team and understand this, this summer, do the man the bad, and let's start building around him. I'm, I'm all, all in on Cam Reddish. Okay, the all in on Cam Reddish with just what fourteen games into the season. Okay, yeah, be- I mean because we've never questioned the ability. The question is the effort. Can he put it all together and and actually succeed with the tools that God gave him naturally? It's not like Grimes. Like, well, can Grimes put the ball on the floor? Can create off a dribble? Is he a three level scorer? Is he just three and D? We know what Reddish was was capable of, and now he's showing it in full form, in an opportunity as a starter, which he didn't always get in Atlanta, dude, I'm all on board. I really think his ceiling is really high, and we should begin to build our team around him, Obi and RJ. And Brunson, of course, but I'm thinking of the younger guys under the age of 25. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Like, I definitely agree that, you know, if you look at Reddish's game, if Reddish fulfills his potential, he does have the potential to be better than RJ. Yes. As an all player. I definitely agree with that. But I'm still a bit on the cautious side, you know, because I don't know. I'm, I'm just Mr. Cautious. You know, it's 14 games into the season. So I'm, I'm just like, all right, I just want to see him play a full season that way. He proves to me that he could play a full season consistently like that. Then I'm all in. I'm like, yeah, you feel, you give Cam Reddish the bag. He's in the starting lineup. And it makes you start building around him and the other young guys around the team. We haven't had very many players where when the game is close and on the line, it's a team that we really want to beat. That's better than us. But maybe we have more heart or we'll hot that game. There's very few players we've had in the last decade that do everything they can and they raise their game to make sure that we pull out that win. Brunson's one of them. Reddish is the other. And because of that, like when IQ shoots, sometimes even Obi, Randall especially, RJ especially, my confidence level is not very high. With Reddish and Brunson, crunch time, give the damn ball and move out the way. I trust them in isolation situations. I trust them in a pick and roll. And I trust them in three. And there you have it, Lee has spoken okay i'm gonna shout out the chat right quick before we get to the next topic shout out gregory lee let's go and Freud 929 l marshall l marshall yes jt reddick pack a punch big reaper who else is a winston ellis i guess that's jay ellis um fake cousin i think that's what he calls him. <laughs> burner <laughs> It's the best mod in the game. Thank you for hanging out with us tonight. Okay, so the next topic is Jalen Brunson. Mm, My man. So Jalen Brunson had a big game tonight. He led the Knicks in scoring 25 points, eight assists. But I think what made Jalen Brunson stand out tonight was the fourth quarter heroics because Dibs was dipping tonight. He had the guys out there that, that increased the lead in the fourth quarter. He took out Obi. 
took out RJ, even though he put RJ back in back in eventually, but still. He took out Obi RJ, put back in Randall Brunson, and Brunson did what he had to do. He hit big shots towards the end of the game, which pretty much got the Knicks over the hump. What did you think of Brunson's game tonight, Reed? Deja vu for, for Brunson. This was a playoffs last year. He knows, you know, th- this Utah Jazz perimeter t- backcourt. He's very familiar with, like, giving Conley the business. He cooked Conley tonight. I'd absolutely, like, he had no issue. When, when they were in a pick and roll and Conley fought over the screen and was still in front of him on the perimeter, Brunson was, like, going to work. He, he gave him every move in his bad and burnt him. And really, the, the clutch shots that he hit majority were on Mike Conway's old ass. And like I said, deja vu. It was a, it was a playoffs all over again. It was like one extra game for that playoff series. Brunson's been in Utah. He's embarrassed as Utah fans. I look at the arena day, bro. Their fan base, man, everyone's at a substitute teacher. That is a corny-ass fan base. I might do – any of these people know anything about basketball? Like, if this Utah team wasn't starting off to a hot start – would that arena even be to capacity? Would fans even show up? Like, bro, I just I can't stand that Utah Jazz fan base. Reminds me of Dallas. It's pasty. And I was really happy to see Brunson get back to work and cut those Utah Jazz. Most definitely. Um, Brunson definitely had a big game tonight. Definitely liked his fourth quarter heroics. I mean, the fact that every time he had the ball, he and he put any um took Conley into the paint. Backed him up. Connie got like an inch on him and still over, still overpowered him and got got shots over me. Like he pretty much bullied Conley all game tonight, and he made a lot of right reads. And he showed tonight why the Knicks signed him to that big deal in the offseason. Yeah, man, it it really goes a long way having a player who has that will to win. Brunson has it, and Reddish have it. And I think it showed like how important those two guys, the focal point of the offense, needs to be. Moving away from, from Randall and to a certain extent, RJ, and really starting to, to, to steam our team's offense toward the abilities uh, of Brunson and Reddish is going to do his team a lot of good. And really start the, the minute differential of decreasing. I don't know why Grimes didn't play tonight, but decreasing the minutes away from Grimes and luckily now we did Fournier and really giving Cam Reddish that, that three spot and making sure that he's playing over 25, maybe even 28 minutes a game. Uh, once we get over to 20, man, we're going to be good. Yeah, most definitely. And since you brought it up, I do want to get into that topic because that was a topic I was going to bring up a bit later on. But since you brought it up, I might as well just bring it up now. Yeah. Okay, so Phipps tonight stuck with a nine-man rotation. He didn't play Fournier, which to me, understandable. Fournier has shown that off the bench he's been ineffective. He's not getting baskets, and you already know Fournier on the defensive end is a liability. So if Fournier is not scoring for you, he's pretty much useless. So I can understand the benching of Fournier. But he also benched Grimes as well, which, I mean, it worked tonight. The nine-man rotation worked, but you would think that, okay, if he's going to sit Fournier, why not give Grimes some minutes as well if he's healthy and, you know, you want to develop him as well. So... What did you think of Nibs going to a nine-man rotation and not playing Fournier and not playing Grimes? Yeah, I'm not really sure what the reason for, for Grimes not playing. Uh, I'm sure we'll find out a little bit more of that during after the press conference uh, early tomorrow, you know, when it's on rerun. But Fournier not caring, I, I don't not playing. I don't care what the reason was that Fournier didn't play. I was happy to see it. Um, the guys lost a lot of confidence, not just in his shot, but his ability to be a playmaker, his ability to like score inside of a three-point line. He's just re- he's deferring a lot, and he, you can see the lack of confidence uh, in his body language when he's out there on the court. He's and he's always been a minus on defense, so 
the less he plays, the better. I would have liked to see a little more inducement drive tonight. I thought it would have been a, a good time to let Deuce have some minutes, especially since Utah plays so small. I didn't really see the necessity of always having a rim protector out there. Even though I did like the minutes that Sims gave us, it could have been a night where Hartenstein is a little bit more rest and we go a little bit smaller and have McBride have some opportunities, especially if Fournier and Grimes didn't play at all. Um, so, yeah, McBride, I mean, McBride was really the only guy that I thought should have played a little bit more and Hartenstein a little bit less because Olenek is not a rim-protecting center. You know, he's a stretch big who stays outside the paint most of the time. It would have been an opportunity to see what Deuce can do. Especially against Carson, you know, who's a very attack-centric guard. Yeah, um, the Knicks could have definitely tried McBride out tonight. You know, especially you know the, because the Jazz do play small. Um, I'm not gonna get on Thibs too much tonight because the Knicks did win despite you know him fibbing in the fourth quarter and him sticking to a nine-man rotation and not really playing Grimes. You know, the only gripe I really have with it is, okay, like, you, you, okay, so over the summer, we've been hearing how the Knicks, the, the front office, coaching staff, et cetera, view Grimes at such a high, you know, at, at such a high level. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like, okay, if you view Grimes so highly, why are you benching him for a whole game? and not giving him Fournier's minutes since you decided to bench Fournier. Like, that's the only really beef I have. Yeah. But like you said, um, hopefully, you know, Dibs will go over it and talk about it in the morning because I'm pretty sure a reporter's going to bring it up. So hopefully it, it, we'll get out it soon. You know, it's another unfortunate example of the front office and coaching staff not being on the same page. Because Tibbs is not the one who's negotiating about Grimes and, and, and claiming behind the scenes that he's untouchable. That's the front office. That's, you know, World Wide West, Leon Rhodes, Scott Perry, um, and, and, and the rest, Brock Aller. So it's, it's one of many examples of the front office prioritizing players that Tibbs keeps on the bench. Obi Toppin's another great example of that. Cam Reddish was a, a great example of that last season. Um, Jer- Jericho Sims has been an example of that. So, you know, I, I it, it's it's unfortunate. The only way to, to mitigate these issues is to fire Tibbs, trade Randall, which would force the situation to resolve itself. Because now Obi Toppin would be your starting power forward. I mean, you could get the end of the bench Dice Yashimoto to coach his team. And as long as Randall is not on the floor and Tibbs ain't on the sideline, Obi Toppin's gonna play thirty minutes a game, and he wouldn't see what he's fully capable of. And this situation is not going to resolve itself until those two things are done. And I've seen the chat that some people think we might have to attach a pick to Fournier. Man, it, that might not be the case if we trade one of these players that maybe the whole fan base is not behind trading. Mitchell Robinson, I think, should be expendable. So should Emmanuel quickly. I'm not against trading those guys. And if we can attach Fournier and get off that contract by trading Mitch, maybe someone a center or a big who can shoot the three, man, I would do it in a heartbeat. Well, I'm not fully on board with trading Mitch as of yet, but I definitely hear your sentiments, though. Um, I'm not pushing for it. Uh-huh. I'm not it. That's, that, that's my difference. I don't view Mitch or Quickly as untouchable and in the right deal for the right player. I would do, I would do it in a heartbeat, 100%. Like if, it was, if it was, let's be crazy here, Anthony Edwards and Nas Reed in Minnesota, if they're coming over to us and we're giving up RJ – Quickly, uh, Mitch, and we toss in Fournier I'm doing, and a bunch of picks. I'm doing that in a heartbeat. And I think those are the type of situations that we can get off of Fournier's contract without attaching a first-round pick to it, which I think should take precedence. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. Like, I don't believe anybody on the Knicks is untouchable. Like, I do think everybody on the Knicks is, is you know, everybody on the Knicks can be touched, but it just depends on the type of deal that's being done. You know, like, I'm not really a fan of just, you know, moving Mitch, you know, just to get a contract off the books or whatever the case may be, you know. Like, to me, it has to be the right kind of deal for me to, you know, really be on board with trading, like, Mitch, RJ, and players like that. Okay, so I'm gonna get to the chat right quick. Shout out the chat. Gregory Lee, Sam Freud. Thanks for staying with us tonight. Fritz, the best mod of the game, the MVP, pack a punch, big reaper. We got jails in the chat as well. In the comments, Nick of Time Show. Thanks for staying with us tonight. So the next topic I want to get to is the bench. Jericho Sims, 11 points, 13 rebounds. Provided great energy and he had some monster slams, like even the, especially that one over Kessler. Mm. Um, yeah, <laughs> quickly, 13 points off the bench. Topping, like I said, he only had nine points. To me, it seemed like he scored more than that. But he only had nine points, three or four from three, and plus minus 20, plus 23 while he was in the game. So, what did you think of the bench production tonight for the Knicks? The only bench player that I really care about is Obi Toppin. Considering that R.J. Barrett, Brunson, and Cam Reddish are the starters, Obi Toppin is the only bench player that I really, under no circumstances, but I want to trade. Again, I don't think anyone's untouchable, but I really want to keep Obi Toppin. So I think if he was given an opportunity to be fully unleashed, we would see a player that's either on par with Randall or just a little bit less uh, in, in terms of his talent, but with a higher ceiling. The best thing about Obi Toppin tonight was the six boards. You know, that's been a point of concern. With him is that he's been a weak rebounder, you know, consistently out of position or leads too 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 early to go down court for the fast break and isn't there for the offensive rebound. Tonight he gave his hits boards and four assists, showing his complete game. The fact that he only got 18 minutes is criminal. I'm sick and tired of this kid busting his ass, playing absolutely hard as he can, doing everything right, not making the mental mistakes he was as a rookie. And Tibbs still who refuses to give us, man, consistent 25 minutes a game. Why are we not playing, starting him and Randall at the same time when it's a team that doesn't employ a traditional big man center? How long is this going to last? Like, does Leon Rose sit up in, in his high horse and in, 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 in MSG in, in the, the, the suites and look at this and say, this is okay? That there should be some type of conversation or a move that's made, whether it be training Randall or tell or forcing Tibbs to play them together or suggesting, hey, maybe, you know, half the time of, the, 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 of a game, they're sharing minutes together, at least in the starting lineup, to give that a look. 18 minutes, the highest plus minus on a team, he's buried on the bench, but, but out behind the player who gives you the most issues on and off the court. I don't get it, man. Ryan, I mean, we, we've talked about this to death. I really don't think we're ever going to escape the mediocrity and the purgatory that we're in right now until Tibbs is fired and Randall's moved. I'll say this. Seeing that Thibs shortened the rotation, you would think that there's extra minutes to be had, especially by one of those four bench players that he played. It seemed like the extra minutes went to Sims and quickly because Sims played 24 minutes, quickly played 25 minutes. Just have a contrast between two players. So even though I wasn't too, even though I wasn't mad at Randall's game tonight, I know he had the minus 12, which is pretty bad. And he didn't have a great shooting night per se, but... I guess here's the comparison. Julius Randle, 31, 31 minutes. Obi Toppin, 18 minutes. 
Julius Randle, 15 points, five rebounds, minus 12. Obi Toppin, nine points, six rebounds, four assists, plus 23. So based on based on what you see on from the looking at the statistical, uh, looking at the stats, Obi Toppin did have a better overall game, but I don't know. Like I said, I didn't agree with Thibs taking Obi out in the fourth quarter because that lineup increased the lead on the Jazz. And I feel like, okay, if those guys are playing so well to the point that they're breaking away from the Jazz, you keep those guys in the game to close it out. Why are you going to bring guys off the bench that are, you know, kind of cold and expect them to close the game out? Luckily, Brunson was there and he hit some big shots towards the end of the game to really get the Knicks over the hump. But it's, it's one of those Thibs things again where it's like, you know, Thibs relying too much on, quote unquote, his guys. Yeah, Despite yeah. the fact that the guys that he has in the court are doing the work to get the Knicks over the hump to win that game. Yeah, the sad thing is it doesn't even have to be this way. Like from the moment that Obi was drafted and Randall had his turnaround season, it didn't have to be a one or the other situation. We could have been playing them together, whether they're starting together or they're finishing together from the very get-go. And Obi came in supposedly as a ready player. You know, he was an older draft prospect. He had a, he was the best player in college at, at Dayton. We could have had an opportunity where he was in, you know, his mentality is I'm ready to win now. And he can contribute on a veteran level in terms of, of, of his IQ and his uh, abilities at, at Dayton. But Tibbs never gave an opportunity a chance because of his over-reliance on having a traditional big man at center and not wanting to, to give up, you know, easy lanes to the basket. When really Obi Toppin has added a three-point shot to his arsenal between him and Randall, you're, you're going to score more points than your opponent if those two superior athletes are up front. Randall is a very good player. I, when I say I want to get rid of him, it's not because he's a bad player. It's because he's not the right fit for this team's timeline, the assets that we have, that we've worked hard to accumulate since Leon Rose took over and even a little bit before that with Scott Perry. Like, either play them together or move Randall so Obi can start. It's as simple as that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And now for the final topic tonight, before we get into, I guess, some fun things. <laughs> RJ Barrett. So tonight, RJ Barrett played 37 minutes, 5 of 18 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3, 8 of 14 from the line, Three, three rebounds, four assists, 18 points. Okay, so I, I understand that R.J. Barrett has been under the weather, and he's been under the weather for the last few games or so. But there are some concerns about his game, mainly finishing at the rim, because, again, tonight was another game where he drove to the rim consistently and was, and was unable to finish at the rim. Are you concerned about R.J. Barrett at the moment, Lee? No. No, he's 22 years old. He's still figuring some things out. I think he has a, a very mature mindset where he has a bad game, certainly as he did in OKC, and he, he bounces back. Necessarily, he shoots super efficient or he stores a lot of points, but he does a lot of the little things. You know, he'll still give you rebounds, assists. He'll still try, try to play his ass off on defense. I think overall he had a pretty effective game. I mean, he started and played a ton of minutes, and we still beat one of the hottest teams in the NBA. So I think overall his effort was really good, but man, he's a kid. I, I can't, I was wasted so many times when I was 22. I can't even reflect on what that time period was like and where my mind was at. So I got to give him a lot of props for his ability to, to bounce back 
um, after being benched in the OKC game, rightly so, by Tibbs. I thought so. That was the right move. Um, but he, he has a really good rapport with Cam Reddish. And I, th- I really like their two-man game out there on the court. He's very familiar with Cam Reddish's game, knows his spots, knows how to find him. And they, I like the camaraderie they have out there. They're always boosting each other up um, when, when they're walking back to the to, to the bench during timeouts um, and in, in a quarter. So I really like seeing them play together. I think RJ, for the most part, has played better with Cam Reddish in the, roster, in the starting lineup than he did with Fournier. And I think Cam Reddish plays a lot better next to RJ as well. So I'm not worried about him. You know, his three-point shots have been better than expected um, this season than it was last. But it's really it's his finishing around the rim that's hurt his field goal percentage, especially his two-point field goal percentage. So once he he always does. Once he finds his groove, you know, I think he'll be even better than he was last year, probably finishing out averaging 22 or 23. But, no, I'm not concerned. Uh, I just want to see a little bit more uh, efficiency and his keeping his head up when he drives the basket instead of looking down and, and you know, forcing turnovers. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned, like, I think the only really, only really big concern I have with RJ is just the finishing at the rim, you know, because I, I feel like we've been saying this for like every season now, and this is pretty much his fourth season and he's still struggling finishing at the rim so it's kind of like it's to a point now where it's like when will that time come when he's going to be a consistent finisher at the rim he has been four years in now and he still shows that he struggles to finish at the rim for whatever reason so that's only my only concern at the moment because I feel like to be a good player in this league you have to know how to finish at the rim you have to be able to get easy shots and be able to finish those easy shots. And if he continues to struggle at the rim, like he's been doing for like the last, like since he's pretty much got into the NBA, him being efficient is never going to happen because he he has to score those easy baskets. And I know we've been stressing that RJ Barrett needs to become more efficient, needs to become more efficient. That's one of the things right there. So. I think that's the only concern I have with RJ because I'm like, I don't know if he'll ever become that efficient player if he continues to struggle at the rim like he's doing at the moment. Well, like he's been doing since he pretty much got into the NBA. I think he will once his spacing and shooting on this team improves. You know, once the other guys on this team, once Brunson starts hitting more threes and hitting them at a better clip than below 30 where he's at right now, once Randall's shot gets going, once Cam Reddish's especially shot gets going, and perhaps maybe if if Tibbs mits things up and has someone who can hit three at the center position uh, outside just Hartenstein. I think once the spacing improves and RJ's shot as well, where defenders have been to guard him further out instead of just collapsing in the paint, waiting for him, they're watching film too. They, they, they know his tendencies. They know how to cut him off and where their foot network needs to be to make it the hardest possible drive for him. And there's usually at least two or sometimes three defenders waiting for him on those drives. And if you watch a tape, rarely when he drives does he pass back out. Usually he puts his head down and he's he's determined to get to the hoop. So once he cleans some of that stuff up and, and recognizes his efficiencies and the team improves themselves, that would create better spacing and better advantages uh, for him driving to the basket. Right now it's Claude down there. I mean, Randall and Mitch and Redders, they all operate in store. Brunson too, better inside of a three-point line than out. So, you know, there needs to be some changes made to the roster and some changes made to his efficiency from three so the defenders are having to close out a little bit more on him so he didn't blow by him when he drives to the basket. Most definitely, most definitely. 
okay, so I'm going to get into some fun things at the moment. So I think Mac reposted, well, he tweeted something earlier today regarding Isaiah Hardenstein. So apparently Isaiah's fiance came out and said that the Knicks are not using her man right. And I don't know Isaiah's fiance, so I don't know if she knows the game or not. But for her to say that it's one of it's one of two things. It's either A, she knows the game, she's seen her, she obviously watches her man play. She sees how the Clippers use Hardenstein and how he was effective with the Clippers. And she sees something different with the with how he's playing with the Knicks, and she just decided to bring it up because of course she's gonna stick up for a man. Or it's B, pillow talk. Hardesty comes home from the games. He's sleeping next to her. And he's like, baby, the Knicks are not using me right. And he's upset. So now people are saying this just adds fuel to the fire of getting Thibs out of here. Because if he's having plays and he's not using them right, and then on top of that, the Knicks are not playing all that well. What's the point of keeping Thibs here in New York? So, Lee, what are your thoughts of how the Knicks use Hardenstein? And do you believe that the Knicks are using him right? I do not believe that they're using him right in totality. I did see in the fourth quarter I got on Twitter and she, his girlfriend, who's a a model or an influencer, uh, responded to that claim. Um, I saw it on, on Jay Macri's uh, film store Twitter and said that she actually, she didn't say she didn't say that. She more so said it was out of context. Apparently she said that on her uh, TikTok account. So I haven't, well, I'm not on TikTok. I don't know if she said that or not, um, barely even on Twitter. But I think if she did say that, there's a point. All you got to do is look at the stats. You know, the last two seasons with the Clippers before he joined New York, uh, Hardenstein was averaging about two and a half assists per game. He's down to just under one. So I think that the stats themselves are showing that he's not being put into positions or plays are not being ran where he's operating out of the high post. And, and the intention is to find cutters, get into the basket. You know, they're primarily using him as an open three-point shot in the corners or at the top of the key, or he's down low and he does that little like really quick release hook shot that he does, which he's pretty efficient at. But that's only on you know that's only as as a scoring threat. They're not really using him as a passer. And he has he has pretty good hands. And the dude can I mean he I've seen him drop nutmegs when he was with the Clippers. He's able to find cutters to the basket. And Tibbs is not using him in that capacity because as we know Tibbs, I mean think about the guys he's had in the past with the Knicks. You know Nerlens Noel and Mitchell Robinson. It's been a while since he's had Joaquin Noah. Who I'm not saying Hardenstein is Joaquin Noah. But he has some of that ability. It's been a while since he's had a center who's been able to pass. So, you know, he's really mo- relying more on Randall to be that facilitating big than he is Hartenstein. I think we could see uh, Hartenstein putting more positions to be able to find these guys. Because with Cam Reddish in the lineup, it makes a lot more sense to, to have him in, in more of a facilitation mode. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. Um, I'm not going to sit here and act like I know 100% how the Clippers use because I've only watched the Clippers maybe a few games last season. And my focus wasn't on, hmm, how are the Clippers using Hardingstein? You know what I mean? So I'm not going to sit here and act like I know how the Clippers use them and, I, and I'm going to compare him to the way 
the Knicks are using him at the moment. The only thing I can say is based on what I've seen according to his skill set. I do think the Knicks can use him a bit better. I'm not going to act like Thibs is doing a magnificent job in using Hardenstein to his strengths because he's a big that can stretch the floor, which he has been doing. Um, he can also pass the ball. He's a good passer. I don't see I don't see many opportunities for him to really. I don't see many opportunities where he's like the focal point and like you know he has the ball and then like you have players moving off ball and then he's able to like find players cut into the basket and things like that. Like I don't see that used often when he's on the ball and I just think that with the way the Knicks roster is at the moment and Thibs like lineups and stuff like that, you know, the way, like, for example, Hardenstein with Randall, RJ and those guys, like Hardenstein is never going to be that focal point where it's like, okay, you know, he has the ball in his hand, players are going to move off the ball and he can, and he can find them and get easy baskets. It's always going to, the office is always going to be run through Randall, RJ and those guys. So those guys are going to have the ball the majority of the times. And I, and that's going to, of course, lessen his effectiveness and he's only going to really be used to like say you know like pick and roll situations and stuff like that so I mean of course can Thibs use Hardesteen better of course they can but at the same time it's like with the way the Knicks roster is set up and the way Thibs you know and, and the guy the guys that Thibs trust to you know actually run the offense like you know it's clear that you know Hardesteen is going to be used different here in New York than he was used in Clipperland. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think that you're right. He's not going to be the focal point of the offense when he's starting, but he also hasn't been that off the bench either uh, when he's when he's playing with the reserves. And I, I'm looking at his stats right here in comparison to his last season with the Clippers, and this is a career high for minutes per game. He was at 17.9 last season. He's at 25one and his shooting splits are, are down across the board, except for free throw shooting. He's only shooting uh, 55% compared to 62 last season, field goal percentage. And from three, he shot 47%, granted, with limited attempts. But this season, he's only shooting 21% from three. So I think overall, his effective field goal numbers are down as well. Uh, his rebounding numbers are up. But I, I think the the expanded role and the increased minutes is something that he himself is so didn't used to, especially as a starter. Um, that's something that didn't happen a whole lot last year. I, I can't remember Zubat, Zubat being out for an extended period of time, but with that injury to Mitch, not only was he trying to acclimate, acclimate himself to a new team, he's doing so as a starter now too, playing with guys that in practice he's not used to playing with. He's usually playing against um, while he's, you know, blue shirt with the reserves. So it's it's probably a difficult situation for him to become accustomed to, but I, that's a situation where I think as the season goes on, he's going to become more and more effective uh, and, and more multidimensional because of his comfort levels on the rise. Most definitely, most definitely. So I want to shout out the chat right quick. Shout out to Gregory Lee, Fritz, best mod in the game, picks for Timmy. We outside. L Marshall. Who else is here? Pack of Punch is still here. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us tonight. One more topic I already want to get into. So uh, if you've been checking the news lately, quickly has popped up in trade rumors. And I know we haven't touched on this as of yet, 
So, of course, you know, teams are looking at the Knicks. They see we have three point guards that we use. Brunson, Rose, quickly. They already know Brunson. That's no chance. Brunson's not going to be traded. Yeah, Rose and quickly. Of course, they're going to go after quickly because quickly is the younger guard. Quick. Are you trading quickly? Yeah, I think the, if the right deal presents itself, I'm game for it. And it's funny, this leads into something that I wanted to bring up that our, our great mod in chief, Fritz Alcindor, posted on Twitter. He, he posted a meme of how he would fix the Knicks, and it involved trading quickly. And the package that he put together was Mitchell Robinson, Emmanuel Quickly, and the 2023 Detroit protected first round pick that I believe we got from the draft day trade with OKC. And in that trade, we're seeing those three assets are going state for Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman. Now I saw this trade and immediately like was a little gut wrenching because I'm like, that's a huge downgrade going from Mitchell Robinson to James Wiseman. Who's played like absolute ass this season. Um, but the Kaminga interesting that he, he he's an anomaly. I'm not really sure what direction his career is going to go. I think he's actually, is probably a more skilled an NBA ready player than Wiseman is at least mentally. And Kaminga had some great moments in the playoffs last season, especially against Dallas Mavericks when they went to small ball five. There was a, a game or two where he really caused havoc in the paint, uh, especially as an offensive rebounder. So that's a trade I would consider. But like that trade, when I see Emmanuel Quickly's name mixed into it, I'm not gagging. Like I, I'm okay with getting rid of Quickly if it means you're bringing in two lottery picks, especially Wiseman, who was number one pick and still has a potential in the right scenario. But I don't. I don't want to see Emmanuel Quickly as an asset we need to get rid of, or is would be included in just any trade. It has to be the right trade, and it has to bring in a definite need that we have on the roster. And Kaminga could be that as a small ball five. Uh, there's a, additional trades that he made. That wasn't the only one that he proposed. He also had Randall Rose and McBride for Ben Simmons, which I'm definitely against. <laughs> I'll, I'll get your thoughts on that in a minute. I understand why he's doing it. He's trying to unload those contracts and bring in a guy that we can possibly be a reclamation project. And then he also wanted Johnny Davis as a head coach and Steve Nash, Nash as an assistant. Uh, I don't want to see Nash anywhere near our franchise. I think he's one of the bummest coaches I've seen since David Fisdale. So I'm also against that one too. But I'll get your thoughts on it. Okay, so... Okay, so the Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman trade. Mm-hmm. Here's my thing. <laughs> Kaminga is the is the guy where I'm like, okay, I see some problems with Kaminga, and if he develops the way you expect him to develop, he could he could possibly be a player down the line. My only concern is. Mitch and the Mitch and James Wiseman switched because like you said this season James Wiseman has been he's been playing like but like he's been trashed this season to the point where the Warriors sent him down to the G League because he needs to still work on his game and I'm like we already have Mitch here who Mitch cleans up a lot of the Knicks mistakes on defense and he's a rim protector. Even though James Wiseman is a rim protector as well, but Mitch's IQ on defense is way higher than Wiseman at the moment. I know Wiseman has a higher ceiling, but I'm like, I don't know if I want to get rid of Mitch and bring in another young big where you just don't know where he's going to get to at the moment because he's struggling. So 
that's my only concern about that trade. Maybe if it was a, maybe if it was another player instead of Mitch, I would probably consider and be, be like, okay, you know, just to bring Kaminga here. But that's my only concern with that trade. Now the other one with Ben Simmons, I understand it as well. You're getting rid of Randall. You're getting rid of Rose, and we're getting rid of those two guys is going to open up time for Obi. It's going to open up time for possibly Grimes as well. And you bring in Ben Simmons where, okay, Ben Simmons is not going to give you anything offensively, but, you know, defensively, he's going to, he's going to produce on the defensive end. So I get the thinking around it. I don't know if I'm fully on board with that trade, but the way Simmons has been playing with the Nets so far, I don't know if I can live with bringing Simmons in on like a, uh, on like a crazy contract he's on right now, like four years, 150, 160 mil, somewhere around that area. And he's only going to give me like four points a game. <laughs> if that. He was like, I don't know if I'm on, I don't know if I'm with that at the moment, but I mean, it's great things to think about and, you know, trying to think about different trade scenarios or, you know, what the Knicks can do to try to fix the team. Cause we all know sooner or later, the Knicks are going to have to make some moves. There's no way around it. It's going to, it's going to happen. So yeah, though, I think he, he didn't outwardly say this, but when I look at those trades that he was proposing, it screamed to me like tank, like we're officially embracing a full on rebuild mode and we're making these trades to increase our potential of getting a good draft pick the following season or, or, or this summer, because Ben Simmons still has two more years on his contract ascending next year's 37 million a year after it's 40 million. That's a lot of money to pay for a guy who's trying to be like, four, seven, and seven, you know, on, on a nightly basis. And I agree with Jay Ellis in chat. He ain't built for MSG. I mean, he's, he's already buckling under pressure with the Nets. Imagine when he goes to a real NBA franchise or at least one with a real fan base that's going to boo, boo the hell out of him on a nightly basis and roast him on the internet, you know, without mercy when he, when he plays bad or, or under expectations. He, he, we might end up seeing a, a did not play for an entire season, you know, because of, of his lack of mental fortitude. So, those trades give you some potential, but will that potential ever actually actualize itself? I, I think the, the odds are against it. Kaminga is the one player that I'm really interested in that he mentioned. I know Fritz is real high on Kaminga, so I wanted to give, the, give him some shine for putting it out there in his attempt to fix the team and let us discuss it um, and you have a chat and go wild with it as well. Yeah, most definitely. I would definitely would not. I would. I definitely would not mind bringing in Kaminga if there was a way to do so. And we have a super chat. Let's go. Samir Soriano says, good win against another team missing a superstar. <laughs> I, yeah. you Not due to injury. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Not due to injury, just due to make up of a team. Uh, but, you know, marketing's been playing really well. I think the important to, to realize that I don't think Utah will end up being what they are now at the end of the season, but they are super hot. So that's the thing that I'm leaning on. We beat a team that's really hot right now, playing elite basketball on both sides of the ball uh, under a really good young coach who has a system in place that did guys to reach their full potential. You know, that's everything I wish the Knicks had. I, I just, I, I agree with, with everything Fred said. If we do get another coach, whoever it is, whether it's Johnny Bryant or someone else, they need to come in with a system in place on how to get guys in the best position to succeed. And, you know, I don't want to be a, a, another Mike Miller situation, who was a decent coach, but really came in just trying to fix the mess that Fisdale laid. Most definitely. And I think 
I'm going to end it there because I know it's late. People got to go to bed. People got to go to work in the morning. So I'm going to end it right here. Um, thank you for those who have stayed with us throughout. Tomorrow, the Knicks face the Nuggets. The full crew is going to be back. Jealous is going to be back on the ones and twos. And we're going to be here supporting them, as always. So tune in for that tomorrow. Um, Lee, let them know where they can find you. You did a great job, Ryan. Uh, these last two games, it's been really fun doing the next breakdown with you. I, I think you're you're a great host. Always a great, you know, n- number two manager, Ellis, but I want to give you your flowers. You did a really good job holding down the fort. You always bring the stats and the facts, and I, I've, I enjoyed our good, healthy debates that we've had here uh, on the pod. So you can find me on Twitter, talking mad shit, uh, at underscore Lee Escobedo, L-E-E-E-S-C-O-B-E-D-L. I, I'm actually on the I, the biggest run of my freelancing career, but I've just been, like, churning out stories. Like, there's so much to write about in the NBA right now. The league is really a mess in a lot of different ways, and I've been trying to cover it the best that I can. Um, so I got stuff. Uh, this week I had three stuff for post and toasting, five stories for Deadspin. I turned in my first piece for ESPN, uh, so I should be getting edits back on that next week. And it's staying busy, man. Another like ten stories in, in in the chamber to be coming out. Lee doing big things as always, and of course, you know, thank you for assisting me in running the show without Jay Ellis because I definitely needed someone to speak to, and you definitely keep the conversation flowing. So I definitely appreciate that with knowledge as always. Um, welcome. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Sir G is chilling. That is S I R G is C H I L L I N. You can also find me at Sir G's Corner on Instagram, and you can also find me at Ryan G K L T on Twitter. And that is our show. See y'all tomorrow night after Nick's take on the Nuggets. Yeah, fire tips. <laughs> Peace, everyone. Later.